You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. We are currently in a series called A Thrill of Hope, focusing on the much-needed and long-expected coming of Jesus that brought the ultimate and eternal hope of salvation. Thanks for joining us. Um, My son Alec, who stood right over here, is seven. Had a lot of great one-liners today, but a lot of funny one-liners throughout the week. Um, I told Alec I was going to share this, but he has just been, like the Lord has been speaking to me through my seven-year-old Alec. Anybody here have kids that just say things sometimes? And you're like, where did that come from? Where, why are you so smart? You know, where is this deep well of wisdom coming from? He said at uh, the, t- the table the other day, and I quote literally, what do you want for Christmas, Alec? We all go around. What do you want for Christmas? Alec says, I don't want toys for Christmas. I just want peace and quiet, which says more about his family than Alec himself. Um, he said, this is literally the way that he painted this picture for us. He said, Sometimes I feel like my family is playing a big game of tackle football, and there's no football. Uh, into which we deduced his mother was kind of like, so what is the difference between that and wrestling? So basically you're just saying there's just a tornado of activity, and there absolutely is. And for my baby baby son, Oliver, whose favorite word is everybody, which what does a two-year-old need the word everybody to command a room for? He's two years old. He should just stay in the corner and be quiet, but he apparently needs everybody's attention all of the time. Um, Alec has been speaking to me, uh, or the Lord has been speaking to me through Alec this season. He went to Santa and told Santa he doesn't want toys. He, he's serious about this. Serious. Don't give him any toys. He just wants world peace. That's all that he wants. That's all that he's asking for is world peace. And so, so proud of you, Alec. You're so sweet, and, uh, and, and I'm thankful for you. Um, uh, Alec, um, you know, he, he's on the way home from Cabela's the other day. He, he's just going, you know, uh, it seems like we get distracted from Christmas. You know, sometimes... The toys, he's telling his brother Leo, the toys and the stockings, that's not what it's about. It's about spending time with family, and it's about Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, if, if, if everybody walked and talked and thought like Alec, if I walked and talked and thought like Alec, I think the world would be a better place. Maybe we would have, you know, world peace sooner than, sooner than later. Um, but, but Christmas is an irony because uh, it's a time that is designed to be about perpetual hope, but it can just as soon take hope from us as much as it can give hope to us. It can distract us from hope. It can distract us from our purpose and the, and the reason and the, and the purpose of life more than almost any other season because it's so busy and because there's so much activity. You know, we've planned from Thanksgiving until Christmas. Kyra has successfully, uh, I'll give her a snaps clap right now and props, successfully executed 10 parties uh, from, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Some of you guys have probably done more. It, it can be a very busy season, a rushed season, you know, a time. Uh, it's not hard to lose your hope on Woodruff Road, Amen. Like the average speed on Woodruff Road is one mile per hour. It's not hard. Husbands, if you go to Old Navy or Target or wherever it is that you go, Ann Taylor Loft to go get something, uh, you have no hope <laughs> unless uh, your wife is an extra, 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 extra small or an extra, 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 extra large. You've got no hope because there's no sizes that anybody's wearing at Old Navy. It's just no hope for you anymore. I'm sorry. You know, you might as well draw a card and write, I'm sorry at the bottom. But there's no hope. And it's, uh, it's easy, you know, to, to lose hope and lose our way and lose track of our purpose, you know, around Christmas time when you gather around the Christmas tree. And maybe this year there's, there's, there's a person that should be around the tree that's not there, right? And that's, that's where hopelessness hits us more than hope does. Some of us would say Christmas is supposed to be about hope, but this is a season about hopelessness and me surviving the hopelessness of this holiday. And so we've been in this season uh, or this series uh, called The Thrill of Hope. And um, we emphasize the imagery that the manger um, to my right uh, is full of hope. It is an icon of hope. It 
and it's, it, it, it's not just um, a, a hope that's wishful, a hope that is optimistic, a hope that closes its eyes with the green light, the hope that the light turns green, like that kind of hope. I hope something good's set, but there's, it's not a, a wishful hope or a birthday candle hope. It's a certain anchor of hope is what we, we talked about last week and that we have hope because Jesus is alive. Our hope isn't in situations and circumstances, but our hope is in that manger, which, which promises us not just hopes and projects that maybe this will happen, that maybe the future, if then XYZ would, variable would happen, then it would be. No, it's like there's a certainty of hope in that manger this morning that, that God is a certain kind of God, and, and he's decided to not be silent, but to communicate to the world, to pierce the darkness and the silence, and to communicate a persistent and permanent message that God is with us, that he is a father, Emmanuel, that has come to be with us, to walk like us and talk like us so he might be with us, not only in body but in emotion and in heart. He is a God that is with us. But not just that he is a God that is a father that is with us, that that manger is filled with a king that is for us. He's the fulfillment of both the prophecy of Abraham and the prophecy of David, that he would be an uninterrupted relationship with us once he had established his hope within that manger, and he would be in un mitigated and uninterrupted reign over our life, that everything beyond our timeline is made for glory and good and good and glory, that nothing in our future ultimately has anything less than good and glory and grace. And so if we take that manger seriously, we remember that hope is not an optimistic feeling. Hope is a fact. And hopelessness, anything underneath the guise or less than the glittering hope of heaven, anything in our mind, between our ears, that projects less than hope is distorted. It is not true. Everything needs to answer to the uninterrupted uh, rule and reign of King Jesus, the name of every, of every other name. And so our hope is secure this morning. Our hope is confident. Our hope isn't optimistic. It is certain. And that is that our hope is in Christ and that, that Jesus brings us a father that is with us and a king that is for us. And so some of you guys remember this, uh, this movie, um, the Charlie Brown's Christmas, which came out in 1965. It's from an older time. It's 25 minutes long, and it only cost $96,000 to make. They made it in a day. And talk about pithy one-liners that talk about the kingdom of God sometimes better than preachers do. This thing is chock full of them. And Charlie is in the same spot as Alec is in the very beginning of the movie. This is his quote that starts off the film. I think there must be something wrong with me, Lucy. This is what Charlie says to Lucy, or Linus, excuse me, up on the screen. I think there's something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way that I'm supposed to feel. I don't feel the way that I, I did last year. I don't feel the way that I did when I was a kid or when I didn't have as many problems or as much stress. I don't feel the way that I know that Christmas is supposed to make me feel. I can think about Christmas, but I don't feel like Christmas is, is happening. It's December 25th, but hope isn't alive in my life. And there's a block. And so he goes on in the story and finds some very discouraging friends that really validate and serve to, you know, um, verify his disconcerted hopelessness. He turns to his friend Lucy, and this is one of my favorite lines, Lucy Van Pelt. didn't even know that. You know the name called Lucy Van Pelt. You better watch out. Boys in middle school, if y'all meet a girl named Lucy Van Pelt, I'm just saying, you might be worried. Um, 
she says to Charlie, I know how you feel about Christmas, all the busyness and getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. I never get what I really want. I always get a lot of stupid toys and bicycles or clothes or something like that. And then Charlie says, well, what is it that you want? And Lucy says, real estate. She actually says, real estate, which is one of my favorite lines in the film. Her other, his other friend, Sally, he goes and talks to Sally, and Sally's writing a Dear Santa, Claus, uh, Dear Santa letter. And the letter reads something like this, Dear Santa Claus, how have you been? She's like sucking up to him. Did you have a nice summer? How is your wife? I've been extra good this year, so I have a long list of presents that I want. Presents for pretty girls? That's what Lucy says later. Please note that the size and color of each item uh, and send to me as many as possible. If it seems too complicated, make it easy on yourself and just send money. How about tens and twenties? That'll do. And probably the epitome of the film, Lucy Van Pelt says this one, back to good old Lucy, look, Charlie, let's face it. We all know that this Christmas is a big commercial racket. It's run by big Eastern syndicate, you know? It's so good. In the craziness of Christmas, it's easy to lose track of our hope. It's easy to see our hope distorted. Um, it's easy to look back on the year and think, I have nothing to hope for because there's nothing that I would have hoped for that happened this year. If my future is anything like my past, it's never preferred. And it seems like hope might skip over me and go to somebody else, but hope is, is not visiting me um, this Christmas. Hope isn't, isn't part of my narrative of, of my life. And, uh, and so this is what the scriptures find us, and this is what the, what the children did such a wonderful job of helping to illustrate for us this morning, this silent night, this perfect night, this simple place where hope entered into not just the lives of a few shepherds that are gathered in the silent area, but in the manger for all men of all time. Verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields, this is Luke 2, nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. Just think about the, the terror of this vegetation of heaven, that heaven um, at first encounter would would pull the word terrified um, out of our hearts to define what it felt like. Um, and, and so much different from our Christmas experience. I mean, not, not terrified by the credit card, you know, bill at the end of the year or not terrified by when Aunt Bethany wraps up a cat and gives it to you at Christmas, like terrified by hope. I mean, this is the name of the series. It's not just discovering hope or remembering hope or nostalgically wishing for hope. I mean, it's like this, you know, emotive, visceral encounter that people are having with hope because Jesus has arrived. And that's the question I would want to ask us to get started. When was the last time you were thrilled by hope? You see, these were temple sheep. The sheep that were gathered in this, in this flock weren't just normal, ordinary sheep. They were designated sheep that were put out in that pasture to grow up and then eventually be sacrificed in the temple every year for the atonement of sins. These were sacrificial sheep that Jesus was born into, that the manger encountered at first. And the shepherds that would care for these sheep, because they cared for these designated sacrificial temple sheep, would have been deemed unclean. And they were not allowed to go into the very temples where these sheep were, would be sacrificed. And so the, the first note that I'll make about this passage is that the good news of Christmas is that capitalism and busyness and consumerism and in-laws are not what drives the manger to the margins of our life. In fact, the, ma the manger has always been in the messy margins of life. And that historically and spiritually and systematically, we're the ones that sometimes put Jesus in the margins of our life, not our schedule, not our bank account, not our debts. 
But the good news of Christmas is that in the messiest places of life, that's exactly where the manger draws audience first, is in the messy, hard, hopeless places of life. And so if, if, if you look at December 25th with regret, and if you are sitting in your seat this morning, and Christmas itself and looking forward into the New Year's represents resentment or regret or messiness or hopelessness, you are in good company. The shepherds themselves were living in lives of hopelessness. And so the manger is all about meeting us in hopeless places, not in the shiny, you know, decorations of the neighbor down the street that has it all together or in the mall of the thing that you wish you could get for the person that you, that you love so much. The manger has always met us in messy places where hope is scarce because that is where hope does its best work. That is where the light will shine. The brightest is in the dark place. And so hope would tell us in the manger, hold on to hope, hold on to Jesus. It's in hopeless places that he encounters us in the most thrilling and most terrifying of ways. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. It's not a mistake that the language Savior and Messiah, Emmanuel, Savior with a capital S is used in this sentence. It is uh, on purpose juxtaposed and compared to another ruler that was politically overseeing the comings and goings of these days historically that Jesus is coming into, named Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus named himself uh, the one, Augustus meaning the one, because he believed and he taught everyone else around him to believe that he was the one. He was going to be the savior to bring peace. And he had uh, inaugurated this time in history called the Pax Romana, where at the edge of a sword, he had uh, initiated the longest uh, period of, of, of peace uh, and, and golden era and economic, you know, strength for his country um, that the world had ever seen. And he had issued a decree. You guys remember the language that was read up here on the stage. He had issued a decree by way of his governors that everybody was supposed to move into the town that they were born so he could issue a census. That's the setting. And it's not on accident that Mark includes Caesar Augustus at the beginning of the chapter and then speaks of Jesus, the Savior, at the end of the chapter is because he wants you to see the difference between Caesar and Jesus. Caesar is the king who rules by force and rules by threat. Caesar is the, the ruler that rules from afar and from distance. Caesar is the one that rules with decree and through delegation. But Jesus, Jesus is the one who has come close to be with us. Caesar is the one who, who issues things through proclamation and numbers people through census, and Jesus is the one that knows us intimately and names us one by one, that calls us as the sheep of his pasture, that, that speaks to us uh, the way that a father would speak to us. And so, so whereas Caesar led from, from up high and from afar, Jesus led from low and from close. He's a different kind of king than Caesar was, and the, and the author wants us to see and encounter a different kind of king that fills that manger. When I was a kid... Uh, my dad is a professor, and I was about uh, eight years old, and he would let me attend some of his master's classes where he would teach law to his students. And he didn't favor me. Like, he didn't, like, you know, call on me more than the other kids or, or the other students, I should say. They were, like, 27 years old. Uh, he didn't call on me more than them, or he didn't, like, you know, call me son in the middle of class, or he didn't, like, baby me. Um, 
But there was a sense that he, 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 he established a relationship as son, obviously in, in, in the class, and everybody knew that I was, the, I was his son. And he would make sure that, uh, that I was able to sit in a place of, of, of respect, that I was treated the same way as everybody else within that classroom. And there's something powerful about the fact that the father that we have is also the king that we have. There was something special about sitting in that classroom where my father, who intimately loved me and knew me, that was close to me, that drew, drew close to me and named me, uh, was also the authority in that classroom. And this is the great hope that we have, that the God that is with us is also the God that is for us, that he formed us, that he knits together in our mother's wombs, that he knows the number of hairs on our head, and he is in control. And so we have an invitation from the manger this morning that God is with us and God is for us, and he is in control of everything in your life. And he favors you, and he loves you, and he doesn't rule you from afar from decree and through delegation. He speaks to you personally by name. And John 10 says that I speak to my sheep by name. They know my father's voice. They know the father's voice. And, and even it has nothing to do with how many Bible studies you've been to or what seminary degree that you have or if you're in church or outside of church. Nothing can take you from the very promise of, of Christ on Christmas is that he is for you and he is with you. And he doesn't delegate authority through other people. He can speak to you as a father can. And he is the king of the world. And every knee will bow. And every president will fall down. And every throne and government will be toppled for the king that knows you that came low and came close. Finally, it says in verse 12, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a company of heavenly hosts appear with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. And I want to focus on this word rests here because I think it's so pivotal as we think about what, what hope means. Um, the angels show us how to interpret the scene that we see in the nativity. They express the meaning behind the manger. And... They show us that the appropriate uh, response is jubilant celebration. And the reason why there's such a celebration, the reason why there's such a clamor on heaven and on earth as heaven visits earth through Jesus in the manger is that favor is not something um, that mankind, in many translations it says, and goodwill towards all men, not just Jewish men, not just a certain political party, or just men in general, all mankind, men, women, and children, upon which his favor rests, is what the scripture says. The angels, the angels teach us that hope, therefore, is not something to go and find, and actually hope isn't something to hold in Woodruff Road with your white knuckles to try and keep it from leaving your heart and your mind. Actually, hope is something to rest in. Hope is not just an anchor that holds us Hope in Jesus is the entire ocean. It is the tide that turned when Jesus entered into this world. God could never go back on a promise and couldn't go back on his son. When he sent his son that he loved the world, his only begotten son, when he sent his son into the world, an anchor of hope was established and an ocean of hope surrounds us. Hope is not something to go and find and fight for. Hope is something to rest in this morning. And this is what the great hope that the angels teach us about this morning is that hope rests on you. 
You're not chasing hope. Hope is actually chasing you. That we are, we are trying to go and fight for a feeling, to go chase down a feeling of hope or remember a feeling of hope from back in the past or run away from a problem so that we might trick ourselves into being hopeful. In fact, we're not chasing hope. Hope is chasing us. We're not finding hope. Hope is finding us. We're not holding on to hope. We couldn't hold on to hope because hope had to hold on to us. This is my message in a sentence this morning. The manger is God's sign language to a deaf world. I was in a Starbucks one time and I was reading the scriptures and it was, it was so cool because at the one moment I'm looking over here and there's a father and a son, they're talking in, in Spanish. I didn't know a word that they were saying, but they're so sweet and you could tell they had set time aside to go and speak with one another. You could tell it was a tender moment and I'm reading the scriptures and then over here on the other side, there's a table of four um, deaf girls doing sign language, just talking so fast, you know, doing the sign languages. And I'm looking at the scripture, and I'm looking at the family, and I'm looking at the friends and the scriptures and the family and the friends, and I'm just like, love finds a way to communicate. Love finds a way to speak and, and get communication across to a world that doesn't understand what love is. And, and Jesus was sent as the sign language. He was sent as the sign language so that we wouldn't miss it, so we wouldn't misinterpret it, so we wouldn't hand it down from one generation and forget that maybe it was only hope for the rich or maybe it was only hope for the talented or maybe it was only hope for the, for the people that sinned a little bit. But Jesus was God's great sign language. They weren't looking for hope. Hope invaded them. Hope interrupted them. Hope terrified them. Hope had to come and knock on their door because they weren't knocking on hope's door. And this is what we understand about hope, is hope isn't just the anchor. It is the actual ocean that surrounds us in the kingdom of heaven. And so hope isn't to be held. Hope is to be rested in. The manger is God's sign language in a deaf world. Hope isn't something to be found. Hope is something that has found us. The king that got off his throne came into a trough where animals feed to visit the audience of unaccepted and unincluded shepherds, unclean is what they were called. They were treated as lepers to go and be with sheep that would be led to slaughter. That's the sign language that God chose to communicate why he came to the earth and what he came to the earth for. He didn't come for you to go and chase after and race after hope and to hold hope and cling to hope. He came to you to give you hope. And this is the truth that we trust in. If hope is, is a feeling, we'd have to fight for it. But if, if hope is a truth, we could just trust it. We could just rest in it. If, if Jesus were to get off of his throne, if God himself were to take on flesh and the pains of this world to come down to this place, you think he would stop at your sin? You think he would stop at your pride? You think he would stop at your weakness? You think he would stop the one who left heaven to come to earth would be thwarted and stopped by your biblical illiteracy? Would, you, would he be stopped by these small things compared to what a great distance he's went? Completely, unequivocally, no. He has come to this place to do an unmissable, uh, an undistorted, um, a, a, a clear picture, a clairvoyant sign language that would stand the test of time. He has come to find us because we have no hope in finding him. And so our hope is reciprocated by his visitation in that manger, the song that we sometimes sing in churches, or we sing in this church at least, is you know by Bethel, that his love goes on and on and on and on and on. 
that his love never stops. His love goes on and on and on. His love goes into 2018. His love goes into 2019 and 2020 and 2021. Come what may, his love, he is with us. He is for us. His love, it goes on and on and on. And so our hope goes on and on and on and on. If our, if our hope was a feeling, we may lose hope if the person in our family doesn't say the thing that we hope that they say. If our hope is a feeling, then if we don't get included in the conversation or if we're slighted or if the family member does something to us this Christmas, then our hope may be deferred. But if our hope is in the love of Jesus, then our hope, it goes on. It goes on past 2018 and into 2019 and 2020 and 2021. It, it will all be, the scripture says in Roman 8, this is the promise of God that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so there's nothing that our hope can't withstand. There's nothing that can separate us from, from the love of God. All things, all things in our future, everything in the calendar turning is for good and for glory and for glory and for good. And so our hope is a truth to trust, not a feeling to fight for. Three quick notes about what this might mean for us. I think the children have led our service, and I believe the shepherds in this passage can teach us about how to rest in hope. We'll see in this passage as I close the sermon, the shepherds don't just sit there. Resting doesn't just mean sitting and standing. Resting uh, in the hope of Jesus actually meant responding. And there's three things that I think we could see in these passages about the way that the shepherds responded to this terrifying hope, this thrilling hope that visited them on that Silent note, silent night. It says in verse 15, when the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let go to Beth, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The first thing I think the shepherds can teach us about how to respond and rest in the hope that visits us and, and rest in the truth of hope rather than fighting for the feeling of hope, fighting of the feeling of contentment. The first way is to see it for ourselves. There's a difference between hearing about hope and seeing hope for ourselves. There's a difference about, uh, from, from, from thinking about hope and encountering the hope of Jesus. One of the ways that I would encourage you is, is sometime in the margins of your life for the next, what, two sleeps until Christmas is what me and Adam were talking about. In the next two sleeps, I, I want to invite you to look at Luke 2 for yourself. And I know we're talking about Luke 2, and I know... We're, we're telling stories, and there's a manger, and there's wonderful production. You know, like the kids just did such a fantastic job in showing us what this scene might look like. But there's a difference between hearing about it and seeing it for yourself. The shepherds didn't just want to hear the news. They wanted to see it for themselves. And so I want to encourage you for the next two sleeps, or maybe between now and New Year's, to put your eyes on Luke 2 and see what God might say to you. I would say there's a scripture and there's a picture. There's a picture for the scripture and there's a scripture for the picture. And maybe he would show you a picture for your life. And I pray when I prepare sermons, maybe he would give me a picture that would match your picture. And I would be able to help, help us see what this scripture is saying. But nothing will really replace the opportunity to see it for yourself. And I maybe even encourage you just to get the paper version out. <laughs> the old school version. It's like we've got to look at these words different than the way we look at our emails. And, and maybe to read it for ourselves would bring us a breath of hope this morning and this season. Secondly, uh, verse 16, it says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I think that the second way that we can rest in hope this morning is by sharing hope with others. My preacher growing up used to tell me, Your faith is personal, but it's not private. 
And one of the best uh, ways to, uh, to celebrate and, and to solidify and to make concrete our hope in a season of hopelessness is to talk about that hope and to share that hope. Our words create worlds. Our words are creating the environment and the authority around us to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors. I know it's old school, and I'm not saying on a political standpoint, but there's power in telling somebody, Merry Christmas. There's power in texting somebody on Christmas. I know it's assumed that everybody's having a Merry Christmas, and I know it's assumed that that's just something that we all do, but there's power in the tongue. There's life and death, as Scripture says, in the tongue, and what you hold in your heart and hold in your mind, but don't speak with your lips is short-sighted. And maybe my encouragement to you this, this Christmas season, if you are lacking hope, is maybe speak about the hope that you hope for. Maybe, maybe speak about what you've seen. And so this is what the, the, the shepherds are doing is that they're sharing it. They're sharing it. They're not just keeping it. It's personal, but it's not private. It's public. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to go public with the hope that, that we're anchored in, that we're surrounded in this Christmas. Lastly, but it says, but Mary treasured these things. And that's a whole other message about how intimately Mary treasured these things. You know, everybody celebrates kingdom and Christmas on, on the 25th, but to carry that and treasure, that's a whole other thing. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and they had seen, which uh, were just as they had been told. I know this is going to sound too much like Elf, but I can't help it. You know, the best way to share Christmas joy is to sing loud for all to hear. Um, I'm not saying that's what the Bible says, but I am saying that one of the things that they by definition, did in response was to sing. Timothy, our worship pastor, say, uh, preached a wonderful sermon a couple of months back just about how song can be a doorway from the head into the heart. And when we struggle with the 18th inch journey of I know it, but I don't feel it, sometimes singing is the vehicle. Sometimes singing is the gap. It's the place that we embrace. And that's exactly what we're about to do in just a moment. But but I want to encourage you, especially songs Timothy told me before the 1920s. Did I get that right? Like if you go back in the hymnal, after 1920, it gets a little bit scattered. But there's these deep, rich, meaningful, theological songs that we just brush over and sing and we don't let them sing into us. And I want to encourage you is to not just see it with your eyes and share it with, with your mouth, but sing from your heart. Because the reality is, whether we sing or not, heaven sings about what we're talking about this morning. Whether or not we sing it or believe it, heaven knows the reality. Heaven knows that hope is a fact. Hope is not a feeling. Hope is a fact. It's not an optimism or a cost-benefit analysis. It's not hoping that the stocks would rise in my favor. Hope is a downward perpetual you know, cycle. It's a downward cycle towards glory and grace. It will all be good in the end. And if it's not good, it's not yet the end. Hope is not a wish or an optimism. Hope is a fact. And the, the manger that visited us today is the great sign language of heaven to promise us that we will always have a father that is with us and a king that is for us. We have a father that is with us and a king that has come close and come low to be for us. We have a father that means we are never alone and never forsaken. If you believe you are alone and you're forsaken, you are entertaining a lie and, and Jesus doesn't distance himself from you because we're believing lies, but it just believing something doesn't make it true. What's most true about you is you have a father that is for you, a father that is with you, and a king that is for you. Let's stand as we celebrate with the angels this morning. We are not alone in our song and our singing. And if you don't have the hope to sing this morning, then listen to other people share their hope. And if you have hope to sing this morning, then share it with others by singing and by engaging heaven with your praise. This was not our idea 
that he would answer a question. He came with an exclamation point to bring hope into a hopeless place. The manger is a promissory note, an anchor of hope that there is an empty emptying of hopelessness in our world that this manger is full of hope. We thank you, Jesus, that you are occupying not only this manger but our hearts this morning. And from floor to ceiling, from wall to wall, all we see is hope. We had a 0% chance of hope before you arrived and there's a 100% chance of hope in the future as you bring glory and grace to our lives. And God, for any hopeless heart in this place, God, that you would fill it. Any hopeless place in this in this room, that you would you would fill it. And we come to you not having to fight for that to be filled, but just to realize that you are filling it as we wait on you. And any, any cup this morning that is full, that you would fill it some more and fill it to overflowing. There would be no man, woman, or child that would be robbed of the hope of Christmas, that would be robbed of the reality that God is a Father that is for us and a King that is for us. In Jesus' name. We at City Lights are so grateful to have worshiped with you today. We are a church that exists to be followers of Jesus who are devoted to building family, blessing neighborhoods, and bringing good news to the nations. For more information on our church, visit our website at www.citylights.cc and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you can join us again soon.